Hi, this is Tiffany and you're listening to Tea Stained Pages. Today, my first book of this podcast is Crazy Rich Asians, the 2013 debut novel of Kevin Kwan. And I'm going to be discussing this like you've already read it. So if you're worried about spoilers or anything, I'd recommend coming back to this after you finish the book. Crazy Rich Asians is a satire that centers around Nicholas Young, who brings home his Asian-American girlfriend, Rachel Chu, to Singapore to meet his family and attend Colin's wedding, the most talked about event on this tiny little island. Essentially, it is a satire about these rich Asians with impeccable tastes and have so much money they seem to not know what to do with all of it. As a little segue, my podcast is called Tea Stained Pages, as tea is this beverage that all different cultures share. The Middle East will serve chai to guests who come to their home. The Chinese have had like tea for centuries, and the English have their breakfast tea. So there's always a tea in each culture, and it's this commonality that kind of links all different people and all different cultures together, but each have their own unique tea. For each book, I'm going to match a tea with it, and this will either match the setting of the book or the culture or nationality that the author hails from. And generally, I brew like a cup of this tea and I have it with me while I'm recording the episode. So if you want, brew yourself a cup of tea as well. So with Crazy Rich Asians being set in Singapore and Kwan being Singaporean, obviously, obviously, so obviously, it has to be Tay Tarik. Actually, it wasn't so obvious. Um, I considered taking Tay or Kopi, which is generally what's ordered with breakfast. I kind of associate Tay Tarik with walking into a prata shop and ordering two pratas. One kosong, one egg, alongside with a Tay Tarik. Or sometimes a bandung, depending on what I feel like. But I love data rig. Data rig is a pulled tea. So day means tea and tarik means pulled. And essentially they froth it by pouring it from cup to cup. And this makes it so creamy, so thick. It's so good. It also, because they pour it from cup to cup, it cools down. So when you drink it, you don't burn yourself. I actually considered taking my grandma's tea order for breakfast, which I asked my mom about a few weeks ago. And mom was like, oh, I think mama orders desi katai. So that's milk tea with sugar added. So I considered that and then I went towards data, right? Like you think of Singapore or you think of Malaysia and you think tea and it's like, oh, data, right? So with each episode, I will introduce the book, the setting of the book, or the nationality of the author, and the tea. And this cup of tea I will have with me while I record. So, let's go to the author's background. Because I think when you are reading a book, or when you are engaging with a piece of art, the author's background becomes really important, because generally people create things from what they already know, or what they have experienced. So I feel like once you have an understanding of that, you gain a deeper understanding of whatever art form you are engaging with, be it music, be it paintings, or be it literature, books. So Kevin Kwan was born in Singapore, and has a very, very interesting family background. He is from a rich family, and in one of his interviews, he talks about having tea every weekend with a Thai princess, which is 
crazy, quite honestly. So you can kind of see where he gets his inspiration for Crazy Rich Asians from. Quan moved to the United States to Texas when he was 11 and this was because his father wanted him and his two brothers to grow up with a relatively normal childhood. And Quan states that it is this decision that allowed him to write Crazy Rich Asians. He went from upper class in Singapore to suddenly being a middle or working class family in America. So he talks about his mother having to learn how to cook or do housework at age 48 because she never had to do any of those things in her life while she was in Singapore. So that kind of gives you an idea of his family's wealth and the money they had. And it is only after moving to the United States that when he dabbled with the upper class that he realised the way that rich people spoke was rather ridiculous. Their lifestyles would seem absurd to anyone who isn't in this top social class. And I feel like you get a real sense of this during Araminta's bachelorette party where a bunch of girlfriends are trying to convince this girl to break up with her boyfriend because he doesn't earn enough and he earns like what? It was either like $500,000 or $800,000 a year, which is a lot of money. And they're like, you got to break up with him. And they do this by calculating his income and how much she must spend. And they were like, imagine you need at least two new dresses each season. And this is going to cost like $10,000. And then you must send your child to a private school and you must live in this area of town. And every week you must be able to go out for dinner at this club. And by the time they finish calculating all of these things, which seem like luxuries to us, you don't need it, but you need it to keep up your status in this social class. By the time they finish calculating all of this, she spent like four hundred to $500,000 and she's weeping because it's so obvious that her boyfriend cannot afford that and cannot afford her lifestyle that she wants. So she must break up with him. And she's like, it's not about money. It's about love. And her girlfriends are like, don't be stupid. It's about the money. I think she eventually does break up with him. And I like to imagine that Kwan is at like some party and he overhears this whole conversation and he's like, oh, okay. And then he just writes it down in the book. (laughs) Kwan also states that as a child, he was not aware of the wealth that surrounded him. As a child, what you grow up with is what you think is normal. So he did not think much of the wealth and status that surrounded him as this was all he knew. So it was only when he was plucked out of the setting and pulled a step back that he could see the ridiculousness of all this money and lifestyle and how inconceivable it is to those of a working class. Kwan also talks about how originally Crazy Rich Asians started off as a bunch of short stories to memorialize his father's memories of Singapore and he is careful to emphasize that characters in the book are fictional but inspired by people around him that he knows intimately. So later on, I'm actually going to talk about two characters in the book that you can tell are inspired by his family members. Obviously not confirmed by Quan, but once you look at his background and the stories he tells of his family, it's hard not to draw that connection. Okay, so that's Quan himself. I'm now going to take a look at Quan's family. 
In his interview with Hong Kong Tatler, Kwan reveals that his grandfather was the founding director of OCBC in Singapore, and this is one of the major banks that operates in Singapore. His maternal grandfather, so his Akong, was the founder of Henghua Methodist Church. His paternal grandfather, so his Yeye, was the first Western-trained doctor in Singapore, and he was known for treating the poor for free at his clinic. And due to his humanitarian works, he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II. Kwan probably took the inspiration for the character of Sir James Young from his paternal grandfather. So this is Nicholas Young's grandfather. In the book, Pecklin's family goes to a family friend to ask about the Young family. And Dr. Gu tells a story about Sir James Young being the first Western-trained neurologist in Singapore who had set up a clinic in Chinatown to serve the poor and the elderly. So you can see in these sections and anecdotes that Quad is putting a little bit of the Singapore that he knew and the Singapore his father grew up in into the book. And these get incorporated into the overall plot and story of Crazy Rich Asians and I think it gives it that added depth. Another notable family member from Quan's own family is his maternal grandmother, which is his ama and she was admired for her beauty and distinctive style in singapore and was said to have admirers waiting for her by the gate when she went out so that they could throw roses and love letters to her in through her car window and we see um kwan's ama in the book again in jacqueline and Ollie says that Jacqueline is the lady that Nick's grandmother wanted his father to marry instead of his mother. So Quan writes, There's a story I heard as a child. Jacqueline's beauty was so legendary that when she visited Hong Kong for the first time in the 60s, her arrival attracted a throng of spectators, as if she were Elizabeth Taylor. All the men were clamouring to propose to her and fights broke out at the terminal. It made the newspapers, apparently. So that's how Jacqueline was descriptive. So you can obviously see that connection between Jacqueline and Quan's own maternal grandmother. So as you can tell, Quan draws inspiration from the stories that he heard about his grandmother as a child and he immortalises her in this little passage about Jacqueline arriving in Hong Kong. Kwan also states in an interview with Vanity Fair that every family is a crazy family. At the heart of it, this book is a family drama. It's about relationships and the complexities of relationships. And it was really funny because when I was reading this book the whole time, I was thinking, oh my god, this is this is like a Taiwan drama. I think late 90s, I think like maybe in the late 80s to early 90s, Taiwan used to make these dramas that were family, they were family dramas and they were hundreds, hundreds of episodes long and you just get like the backstabbing aunt, this girl is having an affair with her husband and the guy she's having an affair with is like her best friend's husband and it's very complicated, lots of relationships going on, you have to remember who's related to who, in what part of the family they are, how they are related to each other and usually there's like three families intertwined, so very, very crazy rich Asians and that was all I could think about when I was reading the book. But it's better than those Taiwanese dramas, just just a disclaimer. They have too many, like, 
amnesias at convenient times. Plot devices, right? Um, so it's really nice that Quan centers his whole book around a Chinese family because he writes a lot about the culture and customs of a Chinese family. But a family is such a universal thing that these cultural specificities don't really hinder others from different backgrounds or different cultures to relating and understanding the characters in his books. If anything, I think the specificities would make it more likely for the reader to find something that reflects their own family or their own experience. Quan in Crazy Rich Asians is also exploring a generational divide. So a lot of traditional Asian mindsets have been, well, not really undermined, but they don't hold as much sway anymore in Asia, especially as Asia becomes more westernized. So Asia is always seen as having a more conservative and more traditional mindset. So obviously, my grandmother and I would have very different ways of thinking about certain things. However, this is also exacerbated by children being sent overseas to London or America to study, where they are exposed to a different mindset and they come home a little more open-minded. And they, that traditional Asian mindset isn't as not really strong. It doesn't hold as much power over the individual anymore. Or rather, you have certain traditional mindsets and thinking ingrained in you, but having a Western education or having lived in a Western country, you also see other other perspectives and different perspectives. So like, for example, I think the one thing that a lot of Asians can never really shake off is that feeling that you must respect someone older than you. Regardless of whether they're right, regardless of whether they're wrong, you must show that respect. And I think you see it a lot. So Quan plays with that divide you get within families and between generations as culture changes and as Asia gets more influenced by the West. And it's rather complex because when Nick brings Rachel back to Singapore, everyone tells him, if you are bringing Rachel back to Singapore, that means you are thinking about marrying her and you are telling everyone in the family, this is the girl I'm thinking of marrying. But Nick throughout the whole book is just like, I'm just bringing Rachel home. I just want her to see where I grew up, meet my family. But we aren't thinking about marriage yet. We haven't talked about it. So there is that disconnect. And it's not that Nick doesn't love Rachel. It's just that he doesn't think that bringing Rachel home would equate to marriage. Whereas everyone at home is thinking, oh God, he brought a girl home. He's brought his girlfriend home. He's going to marry her. He's just waiting for his grandmother's approval. An interesting thing about that, it's not only Nick's family that thinks he wants to marry Rachel. When he asks Rachel to go home to Singapore with him, she's also thinking, oh my god, is he thinking of proposing to me? Maybe maybe it is, but we haven't we haven't discussed it yet. I can't tell whether Quan was trying to make a point with that. Okay, so on to the book itself. My favorite thing about Crazy Rich Asians is the Singlish. So there are two things that are distinctly Singaporean, food and Singlish. And Quan doesn't compromise on the Singlish and he footnotes the explanations instead. 
And this is really nice because the book feels more authentic. So it's really nice to be privy to something a Western or even just something that a non-Malaysian or non-Singaporean reader will understand. Because as a Singaporean, I didn't need any of those footnotes. So it was very delightful to have a book acknowledge that part of my culture. A little explanation. Singlish is a local creole where we mix words in Malay, Tamil and the Chinese dialects of Hokkien, Cantonese and Teochew into spoken English. So an example of this when I'm back home in Singapore is when I go out with my auntie, she won't say, do you want to go out and have lunch with me? She'll say, hey, let's go makan. And makan means eat in Malay. So we just mix up all our languages and I guess if anyone else is listening in, they'll be like, what? What What are they talking about? How do they understand each other? But that's how we grew up and that's how we communicate. So one of my favourite examples of Singlish in the book was when Peglin comes home to her father after dropping Rachel at Nick's family residence and she sees where he stays. And it's this huge residence in Singapore and it just shouldn't exist. Singapore is a concrete jungle, high-rise buildings everywhere. But Nick Young's house is spread out and he has acres of land around it. So Peglin goes back to her father, Gowai Moon, who is a property developer in Singapore. So he should know all of the plots of land in Singapore. And Peglin gets home and tells her father, you won't believe the size of Nick Yan's estate. And her father is like, how big can it be? And he asks her, Dwagin Tsua, which means big house in Hokkien. And Peglin replies, Dwa doesn't even begin to describe it. Big doesn't even begin to describe it. And it's so nice to have that little interaction because Go Wai Moon asks the whole question in Hokkien, but Peklin just takes that one little word, Dwa, from the sentence and puts English into the sentence to reply her father. And it's exactly how we communicate. I can ask someone a question in Chinese and they will answer me in English, or more commonly begin answering in Chinese and then changing to English which is what I do. <laughs> so I really like that interaction because it's exactly how we would talk to each other in Singapore. For additional context about this little passage, land is especially precious in Singapore, partially because of our growing population, but mostly due to the size of the island. So to own a landed property is already a feat. Most would have a backyard. They will just have like... Um, a little space at the front where you can park your car and you might have a little space by the side to have a little garden and that's it. But you there's, you can't run around in that garden. So Singapore has a lot of public parks instead that are built around or into the resident areas. So to have a property with acres of land in Singapore is pretty inconceivable. Like how rich must you be in order to own that much land? And Nick Young's family owns this land in the prime real estate location of Singapore, right in the heart of the city. So you can imagine how crazy rich Nick Young's family is. The book obviously isn't without its criticisms. A lot of them were regarding the book's lack of diversity. Singapore is a melting pot of cultures. So we have the Chinese, the Malay and the Indians and the British as well because we were a colonized country. So the problem a lot of people had with Crazy Rich Asians was that you only see the Chinese in the book. 
But I also think there is some room for forgiveness. Quan makes it clear at the beginning of the book that his main subject for the book was the concept of old and new money coming from China. So Quan built his whole book on the concept that there is this high upper class, that if you are not in this social circle, you do not know they exist. And Quan is exploring the conflict within this social class, which has primarily been very private and had the same families in there for generations. And they're suddenly seeing new money who emerged from China over the last 10 to 15 years going into that circle and shaking up the culture that this social class has established. Because old money was money that moved out of China generations ago and they moved out to Indonesia, to Singapore, to Philippines. And this is contrasted with money that has emerged from China in the last 10 to 15 years. Personally, I feel like Kwan never set crazy rich Asians up in a way that made the reader think he was representing Singapore accurately. Obviously, most Singaporeans don't have that kind of lavish lifestyle that he portrays in the book. I think Kwan never said it out as this is exactly what Singapore is like. But also, I think it's fair criticism because if you grew up in Singapore, chances are you've got like some friends who are Malay and some friends who are Indian. And it's like you probably grew up playing with them in the playground downstairs or went to school with them. Although Kwan did say he went to like one of the top schools in Singapore and I think that might have been primarily Chinese dominated. So maybe not for him, but surely he would have had some neighbours. I don't know. Okay, so I think it's fair criticism, but I also think that a book can't be everything for everyone. Which leads me nicely to my next point about the movie. So Crazy Rich Asians made it big in 2018 for its Hollywood movie adaptation and it was celebrated as the first movie since the Joy Luck Club to have a majority of the cast be of Asian background. The Crazy Rich Asians movie adaptation was really sold as a rom-com and I feel like you did, you, the family drama was behind it but I feel like it didn't drive the movie as much as it drove the book. I think the movie was really driven by the romance and having this romance unfurl in this beautiful country of Singapore. And you also and because of that, I think you also missed out on the satire that was in the book. And obviously you can't put everything that was in the book into a movie adaptation. But you can't. But I thought that a bit of the satire would have been nice because I think at the end of the day, although Quan writes this book, I feel like you always feel like he's trying to make fun of this upper class. And to lose that in the movie was kind of, it was kind of sad. But again, it would have been hard for them, so I can understand. But at the end of the day, I think the Crazy Rich Asians movie should be celebrated as a step forward for Hollywood in terms of diversity. I think one of the things about the movie that garnered a lot of criticisms from Singaporeans itself was that it had a very Americanized lens on it. And I do agree with this. I didn't really feel that when I was reading the book. I think you had the sense that it was an outsider looking in, but at the end of the day, this outsider is still Singaporean and they still understand the culture intimately. 
So one of the things that stood out that I thought, oh, they really changed this was the dumpling scene in the movie, which was quite talked about and celebrated when the movie first came out. Because essentially the young family all gather around a long table and fold these dumplings by hand instead of allowing their cooks to do it. And I think it draws the link between family and food whilst showing a more humble side to the young. And it's also, I think it's also a gesture that a lot of Asians identified with, but also I think a lot of other families from different cultures would have identified with as well. The idea of sitting down, making a meal for the family together and then eating it together. But in the book, the family actually wraps zhongzi instead of dumplings. And these are like a kind of like a sticky rice dumpling and it's wrapped with banana leaf. So they put the sticky rice into the banana leaf and then they steam it. And in many ways, I feel like they changed the zhongzi to a dumpling to make it more accessible to a Western audience because they know what a dumpling is. Whereas if you were to show the youngs putting rice into banana leaves and tying it with string, they would be like, what? But it's such a Southeast Asian thing as well. Like I have memories of my grandmother with a big bowl of rice wrapping them into zhongzi and steaming them and hemming them from her cupboard handles so that they could be distributed among families or to our neighbours. And I felt like it was such a pity to swap that out because at the end of the day, Crazy Rich Asians is set in Singapore and it is about a Singaporean Chinese family and to lose that simply to appeal to a Western audience kind of felt like a pity. Another point that I wanted to talk about was that movie Eleanor Young and book Eleanor Young is so different. So Eleanor is Nick's mother and this is portrayed by Michelle Yeoh in the movie and she is very matriarchal, very elegant. But book Eleanor Young is a lot more, like, auntie. Like, as the as Singaporean would say, we'll say that she's really auntie. Like, she's very gossipy and says things that are slightly inappropriate or slightly offensive. Whereas, movie Eleanor Young is very articulate. And I feel like they played that up to contrast with Pecklin's family. Because Pecklin's family is new money. And there's this idea that new money shows off their wealth to a point that although their things may be expensive, they seem or look cheap. So like, I'm, I'm sure everyone's seen like someone dressed from head to toe in Gucci or Louis Vuitton. And you know, you know it's expensive stuff, but the way they put it together, you're like, that looks bad and I feel like that was what they were going with with Pecklin's family whereas in contrast to the youngs who are old money they are a lot more elegant they have better taste and I think that was why I think that was why Eleanor Young's character was so different in the movie and I think partially because of that difference we kind of lost the satire that was in the book itself um, which is also another interesting point because book Eleanor Young used Singlish should be like Alama, which just means like Odia, oh but we didn't have that in the movie. And the only people who spoke Singlish in the movie were Pecklin's father and mother. And I also felt like this was a pity because how can you make a movie set in Singapore about rich Asians in Singapore who are Singaporean and they don't speak Singlish? 
But again, probably to tone it down for a Western audience, but I still felt like it was a pity because Quan was so uncompromising in the book and it sold so well. And I think they could have done the same thing for the movie adaptation as well. That being said though, I love that the movie was still centered around the idea of bringing a partner home to meet the family. Regardless of whether you are from a super rich family or not, I feel like whenever you bring someone home who you've been dating, you have to prep them. Like when Nick first tells everyone he's bringing Rachel back, his friends and his cousin, Astrid, is like, have you prepared Rachel? Have you told her about what to expect? And Nick is like, she's just meeting my family. And they're like, no, you should tell Rachel about what to expect and how to greet your parents. And he's like, it's fine. It's not. It's really not. Like with Asian families, I don't, I don't know, because obviously I'm Chinese. So I feel like with Asian families, you have to prep your partner, especially if they aren't Asian or if they're westernized. Like, I think it's one thing if my family was all in Australia and I brought someone home and I'll be like, okay, this is my mom, this is my dad. And you can't call them by their name because as Asians, it is seen as disrespectful to address someone older than you by their name. If they're in our family, there's a there's a term that we can call them with. But if they're like older than us, but they're not in our family, we'll call them like auntie or uncle. Like you can't just you can't just throw your partner into the deep end because you want your family to like them and for your family to like them they have to make a good impression. But for me, if I date someone, eventually I'll have to bring them back to Singapore because that's home ground for me. It's home ground for my family and it's foreign for them, especially if they're westernized or not Asian or just not Singaporean. And it's not like I just casually invited my partner over while we're having a gathering. We had to book flights and plan this. So you have to go through it with them. So I was really happy with the fact that they kept that in for the movie. And throughout the whole movie, I was like, I understand your struggles, Rachel Chu. I feel very sorry for you. Also, Nick should have prepared you way better than he did. And that is all I have to say about Crazy Rich Asians. Um, lastly, to end off the episode, my favourite quote from Crazy Rich Asians is from Eleanor Young, who says, Yes, yes, I know Stanford. It's at school in California for those people who can't get into Harvard. And it's so typically, like, Asian mom. I love it. So that's it for today's episode. You can find Crazy Rich Asians at your local independent bookstore. Support them. They need it. Hi, so this is Tiffany here and I just finished editing the episode. I wanted to issue a quick correction and say that zongzi is actually wrapped in bamboo leaves and not banana leaves. So yeah. And I'll see you next episode with Hong Kong's Human Acts. Bye.